Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, your host and CEO of Bregman Partners. This podcast is part of my mission to help you get massive traction on the things that matter most. With us today is Lisa Bloom. I met Lisa through a friend of ours, a mutual friend, Ron Friedman, uh, who has also been on this podcast. So if you haven't heard his podcast, it's well worth listening to, one of the earlier podcasts uh, that I did. And he introduced me with Lisa, and Lisa wanted to talk to me about a book that she was writing. And when we began to talk about it over email, I thought it would be interesting to have her as a guest on, on the show. So this is going to be a little bit of a different kind of show. She's going to start by telling us a little bit about the book that she's writing, and I'll ask her some questions, and then we'll be in conversation about it. The the book is about uh, leadership presence, and she's been coaching leaders and entrepreneurs for years through storytelling. That's her focus. She's a storyteller, and she uses storytelling. And she um, was really interested in presence, in, in presence, in presentation presence and leadership presence. And when she talked to people about it and said, what is leadership presence, the leaders that she was working with would respond with something like charisma. But they you know, couldn't quite understand exactly what it is, and yet they could identify people who had it. And I imagine that you, as listeners, could probably do the same. You could probably identify people who have leadership presence. And Lisa's goal in her new book is to unpack that and to sort of understand what is leadership presence. Uh, The title of the book is Demystifying Leadership Presence, Mastering the Four Core Stories. So she's interviewing uh, people, myself included, around understanding that, and I wanted to turn the tables on her and interview her back uh, so that we can learn a little bit uh, before the book comes out about what this thing called Leadership Presence is, what the four core stories are, and then we'll be in a conversation. So with that long introduction, Lisa, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. So tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, sort of demystifying leadership presence. You may want to start with the four core stories or maybe a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, some background around around sure. leadership presence. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, as you said, I, I come from a storytelling background and I'm often hired to come in to senior leaders before they have a really big event to help them with their stage presence, to help them with finding the right story to tell that's going to engage the audience and make them feel comfortable and really have that that level of Um, kind of interaction that they're looking for and I think we all recognize that many great leaders are great storytellers so it's a skill that people are looking to acquire but what I started to notice was that the leaders who really struggled most with stage presence were actually also struggling with leadership presence and when I would as you mentioned you know I would ask so what is leadership presence people would say oh it's charisma and I'd say well don't you know any leaders that you know the the typical you the leader walks in the room and we feel her presence you know what is that and I would say, don't you know any leaders who have that sense, who have that presence, but are not particularly charismatic? And they would all say, oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. So that's when I kind of set off on this journey to look at, well, what is presence? And when I looked at the research and when I spoke to people, um, I seemed to find two almost extremes in the field. So one of them would be, well, leadership presence is all about how you look, what you wear, how you stand, um, and your voice, and all about kind of... Um, you know, high level presentation skills. And then the other area would be 
it's all about how kind of zen you are you know if you if you practice uh, yoga and meditation and mindfulness every single day and it just seemed like the model out there was two major extremes and that something had to be there that would encompass everything that would be more holistic and that's when i discovered these four stories which i believe is really a way to not only understand leadership presence but also to to develop it and to master it and through mastering these stories so share the four stories with us. Sure. So so there's two different levels and there's two different focuses. So there's a higher level and there's a lower level and there's the internal focus and the external focus. Let me just give you some background to that. What I notice also is that um, when people talk about story, very often they're talking about the story out, as in the story that people uh, are impressed by, what you tell about yourself, the story that's focusing outwards. And you know, I was I remember I was at an entrepreneurial event a couple of years ago in California and I noticed that there was such a huge dichotomy between the what I see as the outer story and the inner story. So in the room full of happy, abundant entrepreneurs, there was all this talk of success and you know how everything is in flow and everything's wonderful. And every time I would go to the bathroom I would hear these women talk about um, you know, the divorces and the drug addict kids and the cancers and all the real stuff, the inner story. And I just thought to myself, there's something about authenticity around the integration and connection between the inner and outer story. And so that's where, again, another starting point for all this research and a lot of the work that I do. So the four stories really focus on the external focus and the internal focus. And let where, me ask you a question. Let me interrupt for a second yeah. and ask you a question about the way you're using the word story. So, you know, I tell bedtime stories to my children. Um, right. the, the way you're using story, it sounds like what is our story? Like what is the story that we're living? And, and is that, am I thinking about this correctly? Yes, and it's also what's the story we're telling because, you know, whatever you do, if you are a leader or if you're in the business of supporting leaders, coaching leaders, um, interested in leadership, we are telling stories all the time within an organization. You know, stories are just ripe with I mean, organizations are just ripe with stories and stories are often um, the cause of both positive and negative huge impact, both culturally and in terms of um, even sales and revenues. So if a product has a good story, it tends to succeed. If an organization tells strong stories, the culture tends to be a positive culture. And when you shift a story, you can end up with a very negative or toxic environment. And is that true also for the internal story? So it sounds like that would be true for the external story. Is the internal story also a story that we actually tell? Or is it a story that we tell ourselves? Well, it's very often it's the story we tell ourselves. It has huge impact on the story we tell out, particularly if there's a big differentiation between the two, if there's a distance between the two. It's a misalignment and one affects the other. So it's, you know, some people call it, when, when you think about the imposter syndrome, you know, where people um, are hugely successful but have this inner story that says, you know, I'm successful until they discover that I actually don't know anything and I'm faking. Um that's been written about quite a lot. We have many internal stories, inner stories that either sabotage our success or that hold us back, hold us from reaching our greatness. And that is true of leaders and it's true of everybody. So I would guess that you are not a fan of the fake it until you make it kind of concept, that, that ultimately the fake it until you make it is I'm going to project an outer story that I don't actually yet feel internally. Look, I think it can work as an exercise 
I, you know, I, de- I can definitely recognize that you can grow into a story. And I definitely believe that we can create and co-create stories that are visionary, that are inspirational in order to reach that. And oftentimes I'll work with teams and organizations where we'll create a fantastic future story, which inevitably once they've created it, they will create, they will reach it. Once they've envisioned it, they will create it. So yes, there is a sense of you create the story, then you turn it into reality because that's what we do. Whatever story we tell becomes our reality. So if we want to craft something that really inspires us as a way to move forward or a goal, then there's much more likelihood that if it's a solid story, we're actually going to be able to make it real. Got it. Okay, so there's this external story and the internal story. Those are two of the core stories? Well, it actually breaks down further. There are two that point out. There are two that point in. So the first level of the external story is simply the story people tell about you. Now, oftentimes people will say, the story people tell about me, well, what do I have? What influence do I have on that? And people tend to think, I don't have any influence. You know, they'll tell whatever they want to tell. But of course, the model breaks down the ways in which we can deeply influence the story that people tell about you. And um, a huge percentage of that story is something that we can control and we can influence. So that's uh, the first story. Um, On the second level of the external focus, it's the story that you tell them. So... You know, we are telling stories all the time. Oftentimes we're we're telling them quite unconsciously in terms of the effect it has on other people. So in leadership, if you are focused and you can master the story that you tell them, then you're going to have much more success and much more presence. So they're the two externally focused stories. And what are the two internally focused stories? So on the first level, the, the, the internally focused story, it's the story you tell yourself. And that's part of what I've already described, this sense of, you know, the inner voice, what you believe. Um, it's, you know, the kinds of commitments that, that, that you have, the convictions you have, the mindset and so on. And then on the deeper level, the internal focus is what I call the story you are. And this is much more to do with um, your self-development, your personal mastery, your purpose, the, more on the, the being level. Um, and that's a, a deeper, that's that one for uh, managers who are not quite at that senior level, that's harder sometimes for them to grasp, but it's um, fantastic in terms of creating a developmental plan because at the senior levels, they get it, they know what that means. The story are is that solid base from which you take a stand and from which you feel confident. So if you could do this in a minute or two, give us a quick story of a leader who could be an example that you could use as you think about her use of these sort of four stories? Well, I think we all recognize, um, I'm not sure I understand the question. You want an example of a leader in a situation? Or, or just an example, you could, you could share an example of a leader that you know, that you've worked with, that you've coached, who, you know, who is telling, you know, we all tell ourselves, these, all these four stories, these four core stories exist whether we like it or not. And so, you know, it would be interesting right now. It's conceptual. It would be interesting to see it or hear about it in an example of someone who has these stories. Sure. So, so I have a great example of a CEO that I um, worked with who told me uh, a kind of an anecdote of something that had happened to him as he was a young manager before he got to a senior level. And he said that he was involved in a negotiation for a very big deal between two large companies. And the deal kind of was about to be clinched, and the two most senior leaders who were um, who were basically about to sign the contract were going to go out for dinner, 
and spend time over dinner discussing the fine details and come to the actual agreement. And what happened was the the leader who was, um, I think he was either the, you know, a president or the CEO of this company, he'd invited the other person um, and he was going to make this final decision whether to buy this project, buy this company. And he invited the guy for dinner and the guy sat down and they were in a very nice restaurant and the server came along and began to serve them water and ask them if they wanted, if they were ready to order. And something in the way that this other leader responded to the server and was very offhand and quite rude, um, the man refused to sign the contract. He actually did not sign the contract as a result of the fact that this leader was not, you know, this kind of decent human being who was willing to treat people, treat serving staff um, as human beings and in the way in which they need to be respected. And that to him reflected a level of leadership that was not acceptable. This guy held a standard to the way you treat people. You know, do you name, do you know the name of the person who cleans your office? Do you um, take time to acknowledge the people who serve you at the lowest levels, not just the ones at the highest levels? That was part of his leadership presence and the model that he wanted to give to others. So that makes sense to me entirely. Connect it to the four stories, the four core stories, because that I'm, I'm missing that connection a little bit. Well, that fits in with the behavior around um, the story that you tell them, the story that you, you know, your, your, um, not just your business knowledge, not just your um, level of risk taking, but actually your interpersonal skills, how you acknowledge other people, how you listen, how you connect, how you respect people. So that's one of the, the ways in which we break down and teach the story you tell them. It's how you. Sh- so you're not actually literally telling them a story, but your actions tell them a story and what you do, how you show up in the world creates a story for the outside world to see. Yeah, because presence isn't a once upon a time story. Okay, it's not a once upon a, it's how you show up. Much of it is wordless. You know, the way in which you have an impact on somebody is often not about um, what you say to them. It's about a lot of things. And one of them is you know, the story you tell and the way you show up and the way you act towards people and the way you connect with people and how you respect people. Got it. Okay, great. Um, so I understand, I have, I think listeners probably understand, you know, these sort of four stories. Let's, let's, we're about halfway through, let's switch over and have a conversation about it. What, do you have questions for me that you want to ask? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I actually want to ask you what your opinion is of leadership presence, because I know you've come across it. I know you probably work with it quite a lot. How would you describe leadership presence? You know, it's interesting that um, you talk about this feeling that someone walks in the room and you just notice them. And to me, that's there's something very energetic about that. So this is, you know, might for some people feel woo-woo, but but you feel it from someone, you, you know, and, and yes, so maybe it has to do with their size. You know, we all know six foot four people who walk in, it's hard not to notice them. Uh, but I also think, you know, we have, uh, if you remember Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, we have these instantaneous reactions to people. I will meet someone and in a millisecond, I'll feel like I either like them or I don't like them. Now, I know enough to say, you know, these might be connected to my prejudices and my biases and the stories that I tell myself and, you know, all sorts of things so I can question that. But there's an immediate energy you get from someone. And, you know, what does that have to do with? I think that's very much the internal story, right? It's very much the sense of groundedness. You know, are they in their bodies, when we yeah. teach leadership, 
when we work with leaders, we do a lot of physical work because if you're not in your body, in my view, you'll never have that leadership presence, right? Because you have to, you're, we're physical beings. I mean, someone walks in the room, they're walking in the room, or if they're in a wheelchair, they're wheeling in the room, but they're a physical body. And, yeah. and that physicality is important. And how you inhabit your body I think makes a big difference. So, you know, my view of leadership presence has to do with the the physicality and the emotion and the intellectual mental piece and the spiritual piece. So when we talk about the four stories integrating, I think there it's important to have integration in your physicality, your emotion, your your mental intellectual aspect and and the spiritual aspect. And we know people who are comfortable in themselves like they're just comfortable in themselves when someone is a little too formal then they're they they have in effect a mask right they're wearing some kind of a mask that allows for that formality and my my view of leadership presence is the mask hides is attempting to hide a vulnerability and hiding vulnerability weakens leadership presence I think we connect with each other emotionally in vulnerability, not really even in strength. And so a mask is trying to project this story out into the world of, you know, strength. And great if you feel it and if you have it. But if there's vulnerability and compassion and empathy and connection, you know, that's how we connect with people. And and we connect with people in points of pain. Uh, probably more than we connect with people in points of, you know, admiration and strength. So mm-hmm. I, to me, I think all of that fits in to leadership presence. Beautiful. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Thank you. So um, do you think it's learnable? I mean, is this something that people are born with or do you think that they can learn it and develop it and master it? You know, I, I always think that the dichotomous question is somewhere in the middle, right? That, that you know, it's, it's, you know, are, are you born with it? Well, as, uh, you know, I had uh, um, Jim Kuzis, who, who was on the show, and I interviewed, and we were talking about, he wrote the Leadership Challenge, and, and we were talking about leadership, and he spoke to this, you know, are you born with, you know, are you, are you born with it, or, or do you learn it? And he says, well, everybody's born, right? So we'll start there, right? Like, if you've been born, you've been born with something. And, you know, I think it's a combination. I have no idea, right? I mean, I have no idea. Is it learnable? Absolutely. Like, will some people be able to go further with their learning than others? Uh, probably, right? Um, it, it's, you know, some people are so uncomfortable with themselves that just increasing their comfort with themselves, finding yourself in your body an additional 20% will increase your leadership presence. Will you have as much leadership presence as, you know, people who have been comfortable in their bodies for 40, 50 years, you know, it will probably take you some time to get there. Are there things that you can do to become more comfortable and grounded in your body? A hundred percent, absolutely no question. So I think the question of is it, are you born with it or can you learn it is, is too black and white. And, and my answer is you can always learn it. You can always get better from where you are. You can always show, show more leadership presence. And my view is that the distinction between showing leadership presence and being comfortable and connected in your life is a very thin line. 
And so mm-hmm. the, to me, the advantage of leadership, of gaining leadership presence is, you know, you, you walk in the world with more assurity uh, than you would otherwise. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love your focus on the whole grounding and the body side to it, because as a storyteller, there's something that really speaks to me. You know, we train as, you know, my background as a professional storyteller is training to be able to tell from your body, to embody the story. So that's so much about, you know, leadership. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. And how do you how do you do that? I'm curious. How do you, you know, in a in, in a sense or two, how do you how do you help people really ground themselves in their bodies? Well, from a, from storytelling, I mean, I have all these techniques that I do from, you know, walking barefoot as you practice the story to, um, to visualizing the actual physicality of the story in terms of time and space. You know, there's lots of techniques. Um, with leaders and for stage presence, similarly, we do a lot of actual physical work, you know, moving around the stage, moving around, moving your body, getting to a place of comfort. And you're, you're so right. It's about the person's individual comfort with themselves first and firm, foremost. If that's not there, you have to work on that before you can move forward to, to great stage presence and leadership presence. That's yeah. great. You know, it reminds me when I was in college, I took a class. I forgot this until now. I took a class on storytelling. And um, the thing that really stuck with me, we all chose a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And there were a number of things that we did to – this was not a class for credit, by the way. This was, you know, like this was a, an extracurricular thing. But we all chose a story to tell. And – and part of the process, the part of the process that I remember most is we had to draw out the story. We basically drew sort of cartoon versions. We had to, um, you know, we, we had 30 boxes and we had to fill each box with elements of the story. Storyboard. Storyboard, yeah. thank mm-hmm. you. We had to storyboard it. Yeah. And I'm not a great drawer, you know, like I, I, it's, that's never been my forte. Maybe I, can, I could probably improve on it because I think you can learn things and not just be born into them. But but uh, but I I I I remember how surprising it was, how essential it was to storyboard it, and and how clearly I saw what I was telling what I was saying when I was telling the story, how clearly I saw it as though I were there, and I wonder what yeah. you think of storyboarding as a way of getting ourselves really in that story, maybe even creating storyboards about our own story, about who we are in the world. I wonder, have you thought about that or tried that? Yeah, I mean, I've played with the idea a little bit. I tend to like, because as a... um a storyteller, I like the activity of stories. So for example, for me, you know, when I'm practicing and preparing for uh, whether it's a speaking event or, you know, my speaking events are all full of stories. So when I'm, I'm practicing that, I'll be out walking, you know, I'll put on headphones because I'm going to be talking out loud and I don't want to look like an entire lunatic to my neighborhood. But, you know, I'll, I'll be out there talking, telling the story, doing movements, you know, and, and so on. And so for me, it's not so much putting it on paper, although I think storyboarding is, I mean, it's a fantastic tool. But definitely, you know, they say as a storyteller, they say, if you see your story, your audience will see the story. And that is absolutely true. And in fact, now neuroscience is proving that, that, you know, there's this whole um, mirroring effect that happens. If you can see the story as you tell it, if you can truly embody the story, then the story is going to come across as authentic and real and compelling and resonant for people. And I believe that it's the same with any type of communication for leaders. I mean, it's such a critical skill to be able to do that. So, yeah. So another quick question, because I'm conscious of 
the time and I've got so much to ask you here. Um, so, okay, we've established it's learnable, everything's learnable. Do you think that there's a particular method of learning that's that, that's going to be more powerful? And, and maybe this is a skewed question because we're both leadership coaches, but do you think, for example, you know, teaching, coaching, mentoring, putting people in a certain environment so that they're um, exposed to certain situations is the best way to teach this skill of, of leadership presence? You know, I, I, what I think is that, um, yes to all of those questions, right? That I, I think that we learn in so many different ways and so many elements of, of learning come into play. So I, I, I'm not a huge advocate of sitting in a classroom and having someone just teach me something from a PowerPoint and, and write it down. On the other hand, I want to say that it's useful to learn a new concept, right? There, it's, it's useful to understand new things intellectually. Now, if it stays intellectual, you probably won't be able to integrate it. So, you know, I, 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 think, I think there's space for everything. There's space to teach new information. There's space to try it out. I think ultimately we never really learn it until we're taking real risks with it because the challenge in, in, in taking a risk is am I willing to feel something? And if I'm not willing to feel something, if I'm not willing to feel, uh, you know, the, the risk of showing up authentically and in vulnerability, and I'm not willing to, to, to feel that at all, then I probably, when I'm standing on a stage, I definitely won't project it. So I think we have to grow our capacity to feel a variety of things. And, and that has to be part of the learning process, because if it's not, it's what I call emotional courage. And if we're not growing our emotional courage, then you know, we're, we're probably not going to act when we, you know, we're not going to show up in the way we want to show up in real life. Um, but I, I think mixing it all up and certainly, you know, real time, real places, real people is how we, you know, end up fully integrating the new behavior and go from, you know, something that's sort of consciously we're working on to something that unconsciously becomes a part of who we are. Right. Right. Great. Yeah. I love that. So, um, in terms of, um, leadership capabilities, do you think this is a big one? You know, do you think this is important? Do you think that, I mean, personally, do you think it's an important capability to have leadership presence? Do you think that it's recognized within organizations as an important capability? And again, when I say leadership presence, I'm not talking about necessarily standing on a stage and addressing 2,000 people. I'm talking about the way you interact and show up in all parts of your leadership. How important is this? I think it's a critical skill in my view. And, and it, you know, I was going to say, I guess I'm about to say, but what I, is that is that um, you, you have to be careful not to be a shell of leadership presence, meaning to have leadership presence without anything uh, underneath it. But the truth is, I think that's impossible, meaning I think if you're going to show up really with leadership and presence, there has to be an authenticity to it. Otherwise, energetically, you're going to convey that. It's going to, you know, like I, I could see through people, you could see through people, everybody listening here can see through people all the time. And... And, you know, that doesn't mean that they won't be in very senior leadership roles in the world and politics and whatever. But at the same time, it's um, you don't necessarily want to follow them. But leadership presence, I mean, I want to go so far as to say I think it's a life skill. Like not only is it important in leaders, I think it's important in anybody. I mean, I am attracted to people who have presence, who are able to, you know, be confident in themselves, be generous with others. You know, people who um, are a little scared and insecure often show up as arrogant 
and they might even have presence, right? They might have a lot of presence on stage, but that arrogance kills the relationship. And so I think there has to be an authenticity and, and a clarity from the inside out. I mean, you talk about the inside story and the outside story, and I, I think they have to match because um, otherwise it's thin and it's very easy to sort of see through it. It doesn't, it doesn't hold up under pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I see such a connection between authenticity and leadership presence in that if it's if it's not the real deal, you sense it a mile away. You know, you can you can just know that that's the case. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, you've answered a ton of questions and I've, I've loved your insights and I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, too. This has been a really fun uh, podcast, very different than, than, or maybe not so different. I mean, I'm always in conversations with people, but I really enjoyed hearing about the four core stories at the beginning and then being in a conversation with it. So um, I'm excited to read this book when it comes out. You'll have to let me know, and I'll let the listeners of the podcast know. And uh, thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bregman Leadership Podcast. If you did, it would really help us if you subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. A common problem that I see in companies is a lot of busyness, a lot of hard work that fails to move the organization as a whole forward. That's the problem that we solve with our Big Arrow process. For more information about that or to access all of my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit peterbregman.com. Thank you, Claire Marshall, for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.